This is The Braither Point. In Deep State USA, the FBI doesn't solve crime, it manages crime. The CIA doesn't collect intelligence, it collects people. The courts don't meet justice, they deny it. The news don't report the news, they contort it. The deep state doesn't serve, it enslaves. But slavery is a choice. A slave submits. The cage is safe. Chains, certain. Freedom is dangerous. The opposite of slavery is freedom. The opposite of a slave is a warrior. The enslaver demands submission. Say as you are told. Do as you are told. Or else. The slave submits. A warrior refuses to submit. A warrior is dangerous, free, uncontrollable, unstoppable, relentless. I will never be a slave. I am a warrior. What are you? I'm also a retired SOCOM soldier, former special agent, and spy turned whistleblower warrior. Served and sabotaged, rejected and redeemed, failed and forgiven, rejecting revenge, humbled and blessed, repurposed in redemption as chaplain, leader, teacher, and truth teller. Now, America's intelligence officer, following God, leading my family, and any that choose to join on our long walk to faith and freedom. Welcome. I'm Jeff Prather, and this is The Prather Point. Welcome, everybody. Happy to be with you. Uh, hope you will have a sacred and blessed uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, that'll be a replay show. But before we get there, uh, remember to go to sat123.com uh, and uh, put in Jeffrey Prather or the Prather Point to get a special deal on the new Iridium phone. I carry them on my deployments. Uh, I really like it. Great new phones there with uh, special deals uh, for listeners uh, as well. Um, got a real special guest today that I want to uh, jump right into uh, here in a moment, uh, and that is um, uh, FBI Special Agent uh, Whistleblower Steve Friend. I don't have too many FBI agents on the show. Of course, I've had my old friend uh, and my uh, undercover, uh, Ed Morales, who was the hero of the Miami FBI gunfight. We're both firearms instructors. Uh, we're both veterans. We're both uh, old school, but I'm really excited to have a new school um, whistleblower come on uh, and uh, right before Thanksgiving. I think this is a particularly appropriate with what's happening with the release of the J6 uh, tapes, although I don't expect anything uh, out of Congress. Uh, but 
let me welcome, without further ado, um, FBI Special Agent uh, Steve Friend. Welcome, uh, Steve, and thanks for your patience. Can you hear me okay? Thanks for having me. Yep, yep. You cut out there for a second, but uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I take issue with being called new school. I would much prefer to be an old school agent. <laughs> well, I think you need some more gray hair and stuff for that first. Uh, but, you know, I really want to say without being patronizing or anything, you know, I'm really uh, proud of you and I'm uh, honored uh, by your service and your bravery. There's We don't see much of it uh, these days. Uh, but, you know, 15 years ago, you know, I was whistleblowing against the DOJ and the DEA and saying uh, the AG, you know, that was Eric Holder is lying and the DOJ's uh, lying and uh, the DEA's changing reports uh, and they're running drugs. And before me, of course, Ted Gunderson, uh, famous FBI uh, exposer or whistleblower, had outed a lot of that stuff. Uh, but uh, you are the latest of that generation, and that's very heartening to see. You know, before the show, we were talking about Garrett O'Boyle, another Army vet like me, uh, and another whistleblower. And it seems like um, 15 years ago when I was saying this stuff, not many people uh, believed it, but uh, now a lot more are coming forward. In fact, Todd Callender kind of credited me some of my stuff with with um, getting some more people to come forward. So uh, I'm really um, proud and honored and excited to to have you on. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me again. And you know, I just gotten to know so many other guys like yourself um, since my journey began about a year, year and some change ago. And it seems to me that we're all kind of singing the same tune. Uh, the lyrics might be a little bit different. It might be a different point in the song, but the song is always the same. It's just guys trying to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And then the uh, the guns all get turned on the messenger as opposed to actually seeking and, and bringing about real change and reform. Yeah. And so I want to jump into that. And I think it's, again, specifically relevant uh, to the J6 release. Uh, but I want to kind of back up and start because I'm real interested in uh, your uh, background. You know, I, I'm a product of rape, came out of a Catholic orphanage, was adopted by a great family, World War II vet, uh, went to private Catholic schools, not Catholic anymore, but Christian chaplain. Uh, but uh, usually all the people that I've seen that are able to have resiliency under this uh, are fortified by their faith and their upbringing. And so um, I'm curious if that is the basis for what you're doing or is, is it something else? So uh, can you tell me a little bit about your background? I know you're a Notre Dame guy and a, a former Georgia cop, but uh, just to, uh, for because I'm trying to encourage our audience to stand up and resist uh, as well. Well, I was a police officer in Georgia for a number of years and then joined the FBI. And that eventually started my journey, went to Iowa and worked on Indian reservations and eventually moved to Florida seven years later to work on child porn and then was reassigned to work on the, the January 6th cases, contrary to what Christopher Ray has testified. But I, I agree with you. Th things happen to, to those that, who are, have the ability to, to handle them. And I know my wife and I, for a number of years, we've just tried, we've, we've always felt like there was something missing. Uh, and, and once we relocated to Florida, we found the right spot for us. We found the right church and our boys are in the right school, uh, also faith-driven. And I think that that was a tremendous component. Uh, but I think just growing up and, and being the person I am, 
I just always had an aversion to departing from the truth. I, I think the truth just means something to me. It is just, and, and connecting that with, there's, there's the, there's a theological component to that. that the, the higher power is truth. And I think that uh, if you're not, it might not be easy, but it's very simple to stick to. Uh, so that was always my, my, my primary, my prime directive as a person. And then it was just finding the, the right, the right match for our, us and our family. And we were uh, amazingly enough as a family baptized in our new church in, on Easter day, the, the year that I uh, was, uh, was suspended as a whistleblower. So I, I don't know without having that in experience, it would have been tremendously difficult. Wow. Yeah. So I'm old enough. Now, you know, I tell the story when I was going through it, I didn't go through it once. The G came after me at the federal level and then the local level and it kept happening. And I was studying uh, Bible uh, with a Christian elder because um, I've been blessed to have these great teachers. And I'm like, why do I got to go through this again? He goes, you're being, you're, you're, you're being crucible. I'm like, I thought I already was crucible. He goes, no, you're not crucible enough. He goes, well, what do you do? Sit in pain. Oh, great. Thanks. But uh, now I can look back having gone through it and I can really see how God was preparing me for everything for my most important, uh, work now. Um, I mean, it's like watching, um, Hacksaw Ridge or something where you can see, uh, him being prepared for what he's going to do, which is beyond what you could do on your own. So I think that's, that's going to come to you. Um, if I may be, uh, I'm not trying to be patronizing at all. I'm trying to be, uh, supportive um because you know 15 years ago it was a pretty it was a real dark time uh but my faith really uh grew uh through that so uh i'm glad to see you're you're doing well and and your family's doing well i hope and your kids because it's hard on them too it is, but fortunately, again, it, it happens to those who I think are equipped to deal with it. I've got young children. Um, really, their their understanding of the the details will will come later as as they grow and mature. They kind of just know that dad doesn't have an FBI vehicle in the driveway anymore. <laughs> and, and and hearing me talk to my wife and uh, in my curmudgeonly way, sometimes I think that they've they've gained that the insight that the FBI is not really an objective force for good in so many ways. So maybe they're. Their ambitions to follow in my footsteps have fallen by the wayside. So I, I was really happy when my son said that he didn't want to be an FBI agent anymore. He wanted to be a, a real police officer. So thought that that was that was a win. That, well, that's so important because um, I used to place, as you saw in the opening, I've, I've taught martial arts for a long time. I've trained uh, lots of kids, lots of young guys. I've mentored them. And I used to place them in the FBI and the Army. I've had guys go to Delta Force, uh, MARSOC. Uh, and I'm not recommending any of that uh, anymore. Uh, they have to learn warriorship uh, outside of the military. I think the military uh, and federal law enforcement is is too corrupted. Uh, and I, I'm assuming you agree with that, don't you? I do. I, I think especially from the federal law enforcement perspective, I, I talked to my friends about this. And, and the term we've sort of settled on is that it's law enforcement cosplay. It's really not the first responders that you see in pop culture on TV and movies. And really it's just a government job for people who are fortunate enough to land in a spot where they can be overpaid and underworked and not really interested in serving the local community. There's just always been this, this 
this separation. Whereas when I was a police officer, I lived in this in the community, and I wanted to make it better for my own personal reasons as well as a, a as as for the agency. Yeah, I, you know, I was never a cop, but I I was a soldier, and I look back on my military time much more fondly than you know my eighteen eleven time. Uh, and in the nineties, when I was on the border. Uh, that was real work. But by the t- 2000s, when I got up to a, a big group, I was not really impressed with the, the people I was working with anymore. Um, I think that's when it started to change, um, when DEA was getting uh, corrupted in the 2000s. Um, was that the same for you with your law enforcement versus federal time? I had a good time in in my federal time when I was working more as a as a cop. So my first seven years working in an office in Sioux City, Iowa, there was three or four people in that office, and we were like ships in the night. We weren't sitting in, in our cubicles. I was going out to Indian reservations every single day and working on violent crime like a detective would for a local community. So I think my experience in the FBI was atypical to most people who sort of view it as this standalone agency, this premier law enforcement agency where you punch into the office every single day and, and go to your cube. So my, my experience there, I think, maybe delayed my uh, – my cooling on the agency as a whole and, and it basically sequestered me from so much of what was going on because it was such a remote location and a niche area. When I relocated to Florida and got more access to the headquarters uh, people and, and, and even in my office in Florida was relatively small, but we were close enough to Jacksonville that I was going up there and then and seeing what goes on uh, pretty regularly, the scales start to fall away from your eyes. And, and fortunately for, for my, uh, for my eternal life, you know, I, I had the the, uh, the experience of asking, are we the good guys? And I don't think too many people are asking that these days because they would be pretty disturbed with the answer they came up with. Yeah, I, I put your book up, obviously. Um, it's on Amazon, and I haven't read it yet. I, I'm sorry about that. I will uh, do that. Uh, and you've got a podcast you just started, too. And uh, what is that again, your podcast? Yes, it's called the American Radicals podcast. We dropped our first episode. When I say we, it's Garrett O'Boyle, another FBI whistleblower and I. We've partnered together. And uh, for right now, we're doing Saturdays, 12 Eastern. Uh, I think we'll probably expand to some more time slots. It's just finding the the time we don't want to detract or compete against people who have, have other uh, platforms. And we're just going to be talking about things that are not necessarily news of the day, but I think a little bit more in depth and we'll get a chance to, because we're spaced out and not really under the gun to cover the half dozen news stories that, that, you know, go across the the scroll on cable news every single day. We're going to try to pick things that are a little bit more in depth and have a little bit more nuance and, and given from a perspective of guys who are one foot in regular life being real guys. And then another toe maybe thrust into the spotlight uh, begrudgingly. So we're 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 going to focus in, I think, a lot on weaponization of law enforcement, especially uh, the FBI. Well, welcome to the club. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, hook me up with Garrett. I've I've watched him. I admired him. He's an Army vet too. I loved it when he said because uh, this, this is something I've said for a long time. You know, and I don't know if you know, but uh, back in the day, DEA guys went to the FBI Academy. I actually went to the DEA Basic Agent School at the FBI Academy. It's still there. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I think they built their own now. There's that ship, that crazy shipbuilding they built or something. But um, I don't know if they're uh, they're separated or not. But back in my day, we were walking around, uh, what do you call it, the hamster farm or the something. The hamster tunnels. <laughs> the hamster tunnels, yeah. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I've got several hundred people on the live chat, but it's not Rumble's not working real well this week. So, um, but yeah, I want I liked when Garrett said uh, the FBI is not a law enforcement agency; it's an intelligence agency with a law enforcement function. That's exactly true. And I, of course, I was also with the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, um, and I was an Army military intelligence officer. So that is totally uh, true. And I really like how he brought that out. And then, of course, followed up with, and they will crush you and your family if you stand up against them. Uh, and I'm assuming you agree with that statement. I do. And, and look, it's it's been revealed even recently. And, and, I, and there's more that I know that has not uh, gotten out into to the press right now, uh, but hopefully sometime soon. The, the FBI has completely weaponized against its own folks. Uh, there's actually a direction that's coming on from from headquarters where they're targeting people who they think fit a profile of being a a christian or fit a profile of someone who is a conservative and they're using all the levers of power to go after them and and look that's that's as, as bad as, as that is i think you have to start to ask the question if they're willing to do that to their own employees what are they willing to do to you as a regular citizen well yeah that's very true and uh i want to get into all that too because I think the FBI is the Praetorian Guard, the modern Roman Praetorian Guard. But first, I want to go back to, because I think we had some similar careers. There. When I was on the Nogales border, there were like five of us. Uh, you know, we'd have multiple cases. We were just running and gunning all the time uh, in the 90s. Uh, it sounds like uh, Iowa. But uh, I'm, I saw in your book, people uh, were commenting on how interesting uh, the reservation work uh, was. Uh, and I wanted to hear a little bit about that because I've worked a, a lot of cases with FBI guys. I've worked some cases with some BIA guys uh, as well. Um, and just tell us a little bit about that, if you would. It's extremely interesting work. There's only about 150 agents in the FBI, and you're talking about it's about 14,000 agents. So only about 150 of them at any given time are working on Indian reservations. It's a special jurisdiction. Technically, they're, they're sovereign territory who have process called retrocession they've kind of come back underneath the uncle sam uh, for federal law and there are communities that are dramatically underserved there's a lot of alcohol abuse and drug abuse and gambling addiction and sexual assault and the the, the goal of the fbi really is to just put a tourniquet on the bleeding there there's just more crime that is being committed than that they have the manpower and the resources to fully confront so i most uh, Indian country agents, you're considered fully assigned if you have 25 open cases. I typically carried somewhere around 40 for the entire time that I was there. And, and you're talking about within the FBI, most FBI agents never arrest anyone. I've said were- that. I've actually I've said I've known lots of agents who never cuffed one guy in their entire career. If you, especially if you really hone in on counterintelligence or even counterterrorism, there's just not a criminal element to it. Uh, and then there's just the administrative people who don't really do any work that furthers the mission. But in seven years, I arrested 150 subjects. So you're talking about uh, order of magnitude more than a typical FBI agent. Also went to trial eight times. Uh, and, and again, most FBI agents never testify in court. The most they'll do is a grand jury indictment, and then, and then because of the the plea, uh, the plea bargain process, I think it's somewhere around ninety eight point two percent or something like that in that area where cases are pled out and don't go to trial, people plead guilty. So it was a very unique experience. It got me a lot of repetitions. I had about two hundred cases, violent crime, you're talking about death investigations and murders, 
rapes, sexual assaults, robberies, aggravated assaults, the sorts of things that you would think a violent crime detective for a, a city would investigate. And I got a chance to serve these local communities because they have a tribal court system and there's no double jeopardy. You could actually be charged with the same crime by both authorities. But I've seen people on the reservation be charged with rape and get 40 days and a hundred dollar fine. And, and then you're talking about corruption that goes on where the court will be the jury will be all members of their family and they'll acquit them or they're they'll have a relative on the tribal council who will then turn around and fire the prosecutor. And then the case will be dismissed and then they'll rehire the prosecutor. So it, it's a lot, it's a lot to take in. Uh, there, there's really weird jurisdictional things that, that you just scratch your head at and you think, well, what year are we in where they would say, you know, well, your victim is uh, doesn't have enough blood that native American blood to be a victim for a federal charge or, you know, or, in, or then, then there's just weird lines where like one reservation where uh, if a crime happened on the roadway, that was a state crime. But if, if you cross over to a different reservation, which I worked three of them, then it would be a federal crime. Uh, so it, it was a, a learning experience, but one that I, I really liked and enjoyed. And, and again, that's what I joined the FBI to do was to be a police officer at the highest level uh, and really only took the transfer because I'm from Georgia, wanted to get a little bit closer to home and, and, and had the opportunity to go to Daytona Beach and work on child pornography, which again was another way to impact, which I think is, is really valuable and, and took that transfer in the summer of 2021. Yeah. The, I, I think we have similar backgrounds in that. I mean, I, I, I cuffed hundreds, 500 at least, maybe a thousand and uh, you know, all felony arrest at gunpoint, you know, lots of raids, but the, my birth mom is from Comanche, Oklahoma, uh, and um, I have some Apache heritage, speak Apache and everything. And I people don't understand, I think, that uh, because of the clan and family system, uh, sometimes it's real. And I've worked with BIA um, quite a bit um, uh, and even sung in ceremonies with them. Uh, it's oftentimes better to have somebody outside because you're right, the, the clan affiliations won't allow them to uh, arrest or be effective uh, in that um, area. And that's certainly, and the FBI cut their teeth on that in the Osage murders, uh, you know, back in the day when they were the good guys. Yeah. Well, they, they, they were really good at taking credit back then. So nothing's much has changed then. I believe it was a Texas Ranger or actually correct that case, but the FBI as it does today loves (laughs) to swoop in and claim the credit. Anytime I didn't know that. I, I haven't seen the movie and I did see the um, Kevin Costner did a great movie on Bonnie and Clyde where there's the old Texas Rangers again, yeah. uh, where the FBI took took credit. Uh, but at yeah. least I know what I do know one FBI gunfighter. That's Ed Morales. He's a super nice guy, but don't get in a gunfight with him. Uh, and I'll He's undefeated. Yeah. Yeah. No, he <laughs> learns how in the middle of the gunfight to one one hand load his shotgun and then walks up to the two bad guys and shoots him point blank. And then as they're taken away, did I get him? Uh, you know, because before he passes out and dies, he was going to get them, but uh, great guy, but real serious about his guns. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, that's fascinating. So yeah, I, I want to then move on to uh, moving into uh, the child pornography uh, that you did uh, down in Florida, because uh, I find that fascinating because I've those two agents that were killed in Florida. I didn't hear much about that, and normally the FBI never misses uh, a chance to promote themselves because they're established the Marines, and I have f- plenty of good Marine friends. Uh, but 
that's still, I think that they were onto something maybe with the Hunter laptop. Uh, and uh, I think that they might even be set up uh, by, not by an FBI guy, but by informants or something. I do know that's what happened with Brian Terry in the Fast and Furious setup. Um, I, I know that I was 45 minutes away from that scene. I know the guys who carried uh, Brian out of the, out of the Canyon. And I, and that was what happened in my day. You know, uh, any, any thoughts on that? Or do you just want to go in and, and tell about your, your work in uh, child porn and child rape? Uh, I, I have a little bit of insight. I do know some folks that were involved um, on that case in Miami. That was in the Miami division. I was in the Jacksonville division, but we had a little bit of crossover. Uh, th- there were some circumstances there, which I think the FBI set itself up to fail where you had a squad that was serving a child pornography warrant, which again, you want to scoop those guys up, but uh, it's not a, th- a threat to life at the moment. You know, if, 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 if we can't do it today, we can do it tomorrow. Uh, and they had a failure there of leadership where the, uh, the squad supervisor was, uh, had, they said, well, he was exposed to coronavirus and he couldn't be there. So then, then they were shorthanded and there was sort of a hodgepodge amount of, of people that were going who were not typically working cohesively together. And then they went up and did the same thing that the FBI always does, which is, is not appropriate for most situations, but because they've always done it, the antiquity of error, uh, that is used to justify its perpetuity. And they bang on the door at six o'clock in the morning uh, and then started to negotiate through a door with an individual that they were the police, not the FBI. And he obviously knew that wasn't true when they knew for a fact that he walked to work every day unarmed, but then stood on the porch and negotiate, tried to negotiate his surrender. He obviously started to shoot out at them. Uh, and then from what I understand, the local police were uh, not anxious to get involved in that gunfight. There's actual footage of them saying that that's the FBI's gunfight. We're not going to get involved in that. So it was a lot of moving parts there. It was It's not a good uh, look for the FBI as a whole, especially when, as a premier law enforcement agency, you should apprehend a subject uh, who, who needs to be arrested using the least amount of force necessary. If someone is going to walk to work and be unarmed, then I see no reason why a surveillance team couldn't interdict him and grab him then. Uh, but because they've always done it that way, they're going to send the team up at six o'clock in the morning to, to go do the arrest. And as far as the child pornography work, it, it, it was really eye-opening because that is the the kissing cousin or, of Indian country work in the FBI. It's the only two violations where you can really kind of beg out of it and say, look, it's not for me. I don't want to do it. And they will try to accommodate you. Uh, I, I was a black sheep in that. It, I always viewed it as evidence that I could compartmentalize it. It didn't, it didn't give me any sort of post-traumatic stress. If I need to watch that in order to put a pedophile in prison, I'm going to do it. I'll do it as long as you need me to do it, and uh, and I won't uh, lose a minute's sleep as long as he's going to be locked away. Uh, and it is also, I think we need to have a paradigm shift in law enforcement because of the volume of cases that are there and because we allow people to beg out of it. You know, If you enter in, into law enforcement, we normally have a uh, couple questions to, to, to take the first hurdle. Are you willing to carry a firearm? Yes. Are you willing to inflict violence on someone if it's appropriate? Yes. You need to clear those two hurdles in order to enter the ranks or at least be considered uh, to to enter into the ranks of law enforcement. I think we really need to, uh, as a community, as a whole, nationwide, add a third question, and that is, are you willing to work on child exploitation cases? Because we need to have everyone pull in uh, oars in this boat to even mildly dent the threat that it is. And it is a nationwide, worldwide problem uh, that there's just not enough people 
who are addressing and, and bringing these guys into justice. Well, um, that goes into what Ted Gunderson under, uh, uncovered uh, in, in the cases of FBI involvement. When uh, Sound of Freedom came out, I've done some child rescue. I've run across some uh, por- child pornography when we were doing drug raids. Um, and so I did a lot of, inter- I was asked to do a lot of interviews uh, uh, on that. Uh, but, you know, Gunderson uh, clearly said the FBI was involved in, in covering this up. And again, if you look at it from Garrett's uh, great statement that the FBI is uh, not a law enforcement agency, it's an intelligence agency with law enforcement functions. What I am saying now is it's the modern uh, Roman Praetorian uh, guard. It is the counterinsurgency against the American people. Um, and part of what I call the deep state or double government is the dark economy, which is drugs, uh, which, of course, I worked weapons, which, of course, I became a whistleblower in, uh, and people and now uh, children. And uh, from my point of view, and I was dual credentialed as a defense intelligence agency intelligence officer simultaneously. I was a, a DEA 1811 Um and so I, I would deploy as well, Oconus and Conus, uh, both. It gave me an interesting perspective. And I worked with the Contras back in the day. So I saw <clears throat> I saw Ali North build the Clinton cartel of death, uh, it, perhaps inadvertently at the time. Uh, but if you look at the FBI as an intelligence agency, which is really what I call the deep state, running the dark economy, that I think puts a whole different uh, spin on it. So I'm really curious to see um, how you see uh, now uh, the FBI as as an intelligence agency? It looks to me like the the, the whole focus mostly is on uh, intelligence, which really has become election interference. Uh, that and I think that's for self preservation. Um, but what's your perspective? Yeah, I and mean, that's what I shared when I testified. I said, look, it's no longer a law enforcement agency; it's a, an intelligence agency. Uh, I joke with my friends that it's a trans intelligence agency because they they didn't get the the chop. They still have the bulge of the gun and the badge, and <laughs> that is for, that's the thing of the Stasi and the KGB, and that's not typically what we see in American law enforcement. Uh, I think that as a result of this focus on intelligence that they have, it this w- mindset has crept in. Even people who are not politically inclined or, or ideologues and, and going against one side, using the levers of power to go after their, their perceived political enemies. It's a mindset that happens in a small town police department that has no crime to address. So they start to write tickets to justify their existence. And as a result of that, the mindset creeps in that you look for opportunities, you look to write the tickets, and then you start to look to the citizens as opportunities rather than your employer, rather than the people that you are duty bound to serve and protect. And now that there's this appetite for intelligence investigations in the FBI. Uh, they're looking at regular Americans as an opportunity. And, and the problem then is the, the nature of law enforcement investigations versus intelligence investigations are completely different. Law enforcement are linear where the crime happens and you investigate and it's adjudicated and then the case is closed. Intelligence success is just keeping the case going. You open it up so that you can gain intelligence so that you can gain more intelligence and then learn about more people who you can spin up and more intelligence investigations. So the goal is never to come to any sort of reasonable conclusion. 
Uh, and, and that, that again, that mindset is not in keeping with law enforcement where you want to have them be able to, to move on to the next, to, to address the next threat. And then it also then creates a process crime uh, that they can weaponize. So you take the, the Mike Flynn case where we have this fake intelligence investigation about the Russian collusion in an election. And then the FBI sends agents to interview him with the express intent to try to get him to lack candor in some way so they could charge him with the process crime. It, it gives them that extra ability to then use the process to open up avenues of process crimes to then selectively target and then persecute their perceived political enemies. Yeah, so that, at the first reawakened tour at the speaker's dinner, uh, me and Flynn and Lindell were standing there and my wife came up to Flynn and said, hey, you know what you just went through at the FBI? My husband went through a decade ago at the DEA, but this is God has kept you preparing for this. And since then, we're not friends, but we're good acquaintances. We talk talk quite a bit. I just did an interview with him a while back. But I think, uh, and I kind of have a new, unique perspective because uh, I had a TS with the DOJ and I had a TS with the DOD. And I remember, and um, this is through open source, I'm not uh, revealing any classified information, uh, even though it's probably been 20 years, just like I talk about working with the Contras now. Uh, but originally, there was an article, I think it's in uh, Revolver, that shows that uh, there was an agency, uh, DEA had a, a Title III uh, with Colombian drug traffickers back in the day. They couldn't afford it. They handed it off to the CIA, whose pockets are limitless, partially because of uh, the uh, Ali North um, uh, cocaine money. Uh, and uh, you used to have to minimize when you would click on links uh, and you were checking these links uh, and if it was an American citizen. Uh, and, and that turned into uh, the giant uh, surveillance systems uh, that the NSA then uh, took over uh, as well. But the DEA has a special operations group uh, where all the intelligence agents uh, from the different branches sit in their fusion center. And on the other side, uh, is all the federal law enforcement, and they'll gather SIGINT, OCONA SIGINT, uh, and they will pass it to the federal law enforcement and then say, develop your own parallel PC, which is really fruit of the poisonous tree. And I think that is where uh, the, and what Ed, when I've had Ed on the show is, we just call it entrapment. Uh, when I was going to do a reverse of drugs back in the day, I'd have to, I'd actually have to sell cocaine. And then it would be walled off. I'd have a DPS or an SO or a PD mark unit, uh, stop the car, you know, run the canine, get the drugs, and then do that two or three times before, you know, I did the arrest. Uh, but the counterterrorism cases that the FBI does, which I think then birthed the intelligence cases, um, were almost all entrapment. Uh, and the explosives weren't real and the plans weren't real. And I think that's very much illustrated by uh, the Wolverine, you know, the guys who watched Red Dawn too many times. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, the J6 things. But that's a lot to unpack. I'll let you jump in there wherever you'd like to comment on, on that. Well, I think this is all the mission creep that's gone on since September 11th, as we've seen within the national security branch of the FBI, when the FBI was tasked with being the sentry on the wall to prevent attacks on the homeland, military went abroad, broke things, killed people, did a good job. The FBI, though, didn't have a lot to do. So mission creep set in, and they were 
there was just no, no, no subjects for them. And that's when they invented in the early 2000s, the homegrown violent extremist. And those were the Muslim Americans who were first generation or recent immigrants of the country. And if, if you look at some of those cases, they're still following the same playbook. They were vulnerable people who were not predisposed to commit any sort of act of violence, but the FBI introduced an informant or an undercover and then just pushed them to do something so that they can then contrive a terrorist charge. And then when they ran out of those people, they evolved and in, into the domestic violent extremist. And, and and parenthetically, there was the militia violent extremists and it could be people that were flying a Betsy Ross flag. Uh, and, and then they've been characterized as being white supremacist in nature um, or conservative in nature. If you look at what the way that they, the radical traditional Catholic memo that was circulated in Richmond field office said, we think that there's people in the Catholic parishes who are pro-life and pro-traditional marriage and pro-border sovereignty and pro-Second Amendment. And those are problematic because they might make you anti-government. So we're going to try to recruit informants to then do what? Do the same thing they did to the vulnerable Muslims. And that was push them to do something that they were not predisposed to do. And again, we saw that happen with the Wolverine Watchmen, which I had it, uh, an involvement with as a SWAT operator. I was involved in the arrest takedown of those guys. And, and what we were told about them was completely farcical. We were told they were sophisticated. They had planned this this operation. They had encrypted communications. They told us if we interacted with them that they were going to get into a gunfight with us. So I mean, they they geeked us up to to start shooting these guys. And then now recently we had the revelation of something that's a couple of years old, but now the public is aware of it, and that is the agave anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremist, and basically it's the MAGA person. But uh, specifically what Department of Homeland Security and the FBI co-authored, they said, was these people have a perception of government negligence or a perception of government overreach or a government or a perception of government illegitimacy. So negligence, you could I mean, I'd argue it's on purpose, but negligent at the border, letting eight million people in uh, overreach, saying that I have to wear a mask if I want to fly on an airplane or illegitimacy well the the biggest mail-in ballot scheme in the history of the world uh and has, has people scratching their head about an election outcome if you hold any of those perceptions you are now going to be in the crosshairs of the fbi as a potential domestic terrorist subject well that's fascinating there's so many things i want to ask you because i've i've actually declined another uh, fbi agent who wants to come on tom powers who wanted but in his book he talks that Barr is a good guy uh, and uh, he seems to still have the blinders on. So, um, you know, going back to Ruby Ridge, um, uh, you know, I knew Lon Horiuchi, the HRT sniper, because I was an F I was a DEA fire instructor, so I was at the Quantico range all the time. HRT was right there, uh, back there. Their tire house was still right there and everything. Uh, and there were FBI SWAT teams that left. You were on an FBI SWAT team, I believe. There were FBI SWAT teams who left because they changed the ROE. And of course, that resulted uh, in shooting uh, a mom holding a baby after ATF shot the guy's son. Then Waco comes along. And again, Waco, they could have arrested him going into town uh, every day. Afterwards, I was actually at firearm school at Quantico when Waco uh, was burning. And because of my native heritage, I was like, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I know those women and children shouldn't be being burned alive. Um, uh, but then they bulldozed the, uh, rubble 
uh, into the fire. The, uh, later on, I saw the flare tapes. Clearly, the shots coming uh, from the um, FBI armored uh, carrier. Uh, and so there is a and then looking at Gunderson stuff where he talks about Oklahoma City. He talks about the um, the school, the child school, all of those. There's a clear pattern of this. So uh, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I'm just asking where are you at on on understanding that? Because I, yeah, I was like you. I came off active duty uh, and was like, okay, now I'm going to go serve my country in federal law enforcement, and and thought I was. Um, and then I found out that there was a CIA guy there when they were torturing Kiki Camarena to death. So it's it's an it's a it's an awakening that is very traumatic. But I just wanted to see where you are on all of the all of that historical uh, corruption and where where your where your perception is. I think that there's always uh, there's always politics that goes into it. Uh, I think that the larger driving force behind any sort of corruption that I saw or malfeasance uh, was always the uh, the ambition of people who wanted to be climbers and wasn't really driven by the politics that their, their passion was in promoting and they would do things uh, that would further that. And, you know, that could just be stabbing their buddy in the back uh, it, or it could be pushing you to hit quotas, which, which is what they do have. They have the quota figures that they, they want agents to do. Um, I think the, the, my biggest though, takeaway uh, to, to take it maybe in a different direction is my utter disappointment in the quality of character of people throughout the rank and file and into management. Um, I had a, a meeting with my executives and I said to them, I thought I was vetted as a person of integrity. That's why I came forward. I guess you just found the one because nobody else was willing to say it. I mean, I, I had conversations with people privately and they said, yeah, I agree with what you're doing, but they were unwilling to come forward. And, and I'm sorry, that's, that's insufficient. You can't say, well, I have, uh, I have obligations. I have to feed my family and pay my bills. Look, I, I swore an oath to protect the Constitution, and it was a significant experience for me. I, I viewed it as a privilege to swear an oath that so many other people, a great men and women in history, and I realized that well, I was standing on third base and I hadn't hit a triple. Um, but too many people just view that as an iPhone user agreement, and they say what they need to say to get the job with all the benefits and the pay and the esteem, but none of their actual responsibility. And, and i I'm always uncomfortable whenever uh, people say, oh, what you, know, what you did was heroic. And I, I, I used to say, look, my job was to be an FBI agent. Part of being a job of an FBI agent is if you think the FBI is wrong, you have to call a spade a spade. And I did that. And I would never have not done that. That was the job. So I did the job. Now, as a result of that, I've lost that job. Uh, and I had hoped originally that I would lay down over some barbed wire and maybe some other people will come out behind me, uh, having seen that I did it. I mean, I looked around the room and thought like, oh, these people are just, just they lack a leader. I'll, I'll go. All right. I'm your Huckleberry. I'll go be the first one. Uh, but they've just sat there and, and not come forward um, and be, because of fear or ambition or whatever it is. Uh, that to me has been the ultimate letdown. And it's it's galvanized my uh, my hunger to completely disband and dismantle and defund the FBI and, and send it to the Ashman of history. Uh, that, that's exactly what I'm saying at this point is defund, defy. Of course, 
you know, I saw your statement. They just funded the new uh, Huntsville uh, headquarters going to be bigger than the Pentagon. That's that's Congress's uh, answer. Um, well, no, they, they didn't fund Huntsville. They already oh, have a tune. Yeah, they, they didn't want to go to Huntsville. So now they're going to oh, build a brand right. new yeah, one yeah. in Maryland. Yeah, that's right. Huntsville's too country for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is uh, probably good because it keeps uh, Alabama more red than the in, influx of government employees is going to make it. Well, yeah, there there is a big intel program there uh, already because of the the rock. But I, but just to be, be clear, so y- you are familiar with Gunderson's work, uh, yes, right? Uh, and um, you're familiar with the uh, with the Waco um, cover ups as well. And then the uh, the I forget who the agent was in in Phoenix that wanted to investigate the pilots flying into buildings. It was told not to. Um, from my end, uh, the, one of the coolest things about my show is my some of my peers will watch it. And they'll contact me and they'll say, "Hey, did you know about the Israeli art students?" I'm like, "What?" And evidently, the Israeli art students were in the 9/11 towers. They were trying to breach DEA offices. That turns out to be the dancing Israelis afterwards, um, uh, after 9-11. So there's an active role in here. Uh, I just don't know if, if you're that aware of it or you're just not that comfortable addressing it, um, as opposed to mission creep and, and lack of ethics. You know, we see that all the time in the, you know, in the upper echelon. You get to be a rack or a sack or an ASAC or something. You know, that's pretty common. Uh, but do you see the common thread I'm addressing here? I, I mean, I think that I've come to the conclusion that an agency like the FBI has always been about, uh, an extra constitutional organization. I think that it's become more evident now in the, in the last few years, especially, but especially in the last couple of decades, but you look at the origin of the FBI, it was never really about preserving our constitution, protecting our continuity of government. It was always just about doing the bidding of whoever was in charge and keeping that person happy and going after their perceived enemies. So if they didn't like Martin Luther King, we had COINTELPRO where they tried to get MLK to commit suicide. Um, and and the, the, the Venn diagram might overlap with something that's objectively good where they went after communists in the 40s, uh, but that was just because they were, they were being directed to do that. The, the, th- the issue that we have now, though, is there's the the climbers are entirely of are, are, are Marxist. They're you can't even say they're the political left. They're 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 absolutely bought in, lock, stock, and barrel with all the ideologies that we are bombarded with all the time. Uh, you be it the diversity, equity, and inclusion, or the the gay pride agenda, uh, and they are building an agency. You know, look, they're purging people like me. They're purging people like Garrett. Uh, people who fit the profile of being conservative or religious to get rid of them, uh, not just to get rid of the the rabble rousers or the, the the whistleblowers who want to actually make the place better. They want people who will go along with police battalion one hundred and one, and execute who they say to execute, and and go after who they who they need to. Uh, and they, they're building an agency that's willing to just steamroll over significant portions of the country, and there's no coming back from that at this point. And and even if you dismiss my my hypotheses entirely what you cannot deny is that there are significant portions of this country that have lost all faith in the fbi and as a result of that what will happen and inevitably is the fbi will bring charges against someone in a red area and they will go to court and they will be acquitted just because it's an fbi case 
And then the FBI will know, well, we can't go into that community. So they're going to push where there's mush and they're going to go to places that are blue. And then they're going to go after the red people that live in those blue areas. And it'll make the FBI even worse. There's no coming back from it. any sort of massive reform that you have to have for the FBI. And, and I have ideas on how you could make it better, but it's six of one half dozen of the other. You have to eliminate the agency and rebuild it from the ground or have such massive reforms that it's not, not going to be a recognizable agency. Uh, but again, I'm a small government guy. I think that the country existed before the FBI and it can certainly exist after the FBI. And we need to get around to accepting that as reality. No, I, I agree with that, uh, totally. And, uh, so I, I see an agency within an agency. So in effect, I see an intelligence agency inside, inside a ball of a law enforcement front, storefront. I think the, the, the storefront for the FBI is the law enforcement. Uh, but really, uh, it may have always been an intelligence agency. And so in... Um, in Wisconsin, uh, in Kenosha, with um, uh, what's the name? Kid, I just forgot the kid's name. Uh, the famous uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse. There's an FBI guy running behind the 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 child raper and the wife beater with the FBI drone overhead. That's a seriously coordinated operation. In Garland, Texas, there's the FBI agent who uh, has the two ISIS guys with a draw Muhammad event. That bespokes of a great deal of uh, of operations orders uh, and a great deal. The other thing I don't think you said there was they're going to bring in terrorists and Nazis uh, from Gaza and uh, and from Ukraine uh, into uh, red areas to then run false flags event. Uh, that's what I see happening. What's your insight into Garland and into Kenosha? Uh, with you know drones overhead, there's probably a drone overhead in Garland. I just don't know about that one. Well, from what I know about Garland, I can speak to that uh, pretty well. And that was a, an undercover who was trying to infiltrate a group and thought that if he was going to encourage these two guys to carry out an attack, that would then build up his bona fides to get himself further ingrained in the group. And I think what that reveals is the FBI is willing to, and, and FBI employers are willing to have collateral damage on the home front if it furthers their investigations, because their goal is not to conclude the investigation. Success is just continuing the investigation. That's, that's the way they operate. And as a result of that, you had two guys get out of a vehicle with AK-47s to go shoot up a Draw Muhammad uh, event. And then within visual, uh, the undercover operative driving away and just allowing it to happen at that point, just, uh, giving up his what his obligation was because in in theory he's supposed to be a law enforcement officer who's is duty bound to to prevent loss of life or serious injury to people and and use the proper amount of force uh but thank god there was uh, a, a an off-duty police officer who was security and i believe took those guys out with a revolver yeah, which is pretty yeah. texas <laughs> pretty awesome yeah. Yeah, probably a Texas Ranger. Uh Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh very true. What so what a uh what about the drone? So there's also mm, let me how do I say this? I have I have sources uh that show that the FBI has massive university and college uh involvements um for arranging uh, mass crisis events. Um, 
I'm going to be careful. How I, any comments on anything like that? Yeah, it, it, I think that, that that speaks also to the problems that, without even getting into the, the specifics of it, the, the fact that the FBI is always uh, recruiting informants and, and the way that it does that is incredibly concerning and problematic. What people need to understand is that the FBI can do what is called a type five assessment, and that is build a dossier, a actual investigation of an innocent American like they've committed a crime because they're trying to look for vulnerabilities, pressure points where they could recruit them to be a, an informant and find out what their access is, what, what's going to motivate them. Uh, but it's an investigation of an innocent person. And that's really yeah. intelligence. That's really, that's, tr that's trying to get an agent. That's, that's a case officer work really right there is what you're describing though. Yes. And, and, that, and that's why the FBI should never be doing these, these, uh, these joint deployments it has with the CIA where people are doing crossover work. Why, why would a domestic law enforcement agency need to have, uh, tradecraft from a foreign intelligence agency. You shouldn't so you, be becoming a domestic intelligence agency. So are you familiar with the story I'm talking about where the uh, the intel guys sit uh, at DEA SOG uh, and pass SIGINT to the federal law enforcement? No, no, not familiar with that one. Okay. Yeah, that that's really where um, everything goes uh, bad. And also, I don't know if you know, but the CIA because I've, I've worked a lot with them as well. CIA has a program where they'll take uh, FBI or D agents uh, and um, cross designate them. And they think, yes. they think that they are being, well, now I'm a CIA case officer. No, you're being run by the CIA. Yes. And the, the cat, the allegory, the, the, the commonality to that with the FBI is the civilian FBI Academy and the national Academy uh, and all the task forces is, hey, we're, and a lot of the fusion centers, hey, we're, you know, kind of junior G-men. No, you're being run by the FBI uh, as well. And, and you'll find this interesting now. If you want to promote within the Washington field office, you have to show that you've had temporary duty assignment to an intelligence agency. So they're basically saying, if you want to promote, you have to go to work with the CIA. And so I, you know, I lost respect for the CIA back in the '80s when I first saw them with the Contras. They they were very unimpressive uh, oh. folks. The whoever I sees in the movies, by the way, is the sad guys, the special activity division guys. They're all ex-military. The Jason Bournes are all ex-military, oftentimes tier one guys, uh, and that's just one component. Uh, ground, air, water branch of the special activities division guys. Um, kind of like in my day, I was uh, snow cap. Uh, which was uh, the corollary to BORTAC or the corollary to uh, the FAST or HRT. Uh, you, you were FBI uh, SWAT, right? Yes, uh, SWAT team for five years for the Omaha field office. Uh, and so let's talk about your where you finally stood up. Is That's about when you were doing long gun raids on civilians that didn't need that. Is that. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's basically two, two lanes. Uh, one would be objecting to using SWAT to arrest a January 6th subject. It was 18 months after he had had any contact with us and he pledged to cooperate and they were sending SWAT team to his house. And I said, look, this is Waco. This is, you're just waiting on a Waco to happen. Um, and it's completely unnecessary. There's other means to do it. 
Uh, and, and, and that was uh, the risk to the public safety to me, I thought uh, was, was significant enough for me to, to, to bring that to their attention. And then also it was the manipulation of the way that they're managing the January 6th cases, where it's one case in Washington, D.C., uh, they elected to open a separate case for every single person. And then instead of having them um, run from Washington, D.C. officially, they are being run from Washington, D.C., they had all the agents in the field, wherever the person lived, open a case. So now we've created the illusion that there's thousands of domestic terrorist cases and they're all spinoffs from essentially trespassing at the Capitol at worst. And and that's pretty common. The metrics, they do that. They manipulate metrics all the time. Uh, you know, that that's not uncommon. I've seen that uh, for a long time, but that that's very significant. And actually that's how um, my friend and fellow uh, SF, uh, soldier who's now in Florida prison there, uh, Jeremy Brown. Uh, that's how we got in touch uh, originally. So that's very significant. Um, and what was the initial reaction of, so were you working for a, a RAC, a, a ASAC, a SAC, a group supervisor? What was your initial chain of command there? So I, I was in Daytona Beach, the resident agency. So my frontline supervisor was a GS-14 just okay. a supervisory special agent. Uh, and you know, there's 10, 12 people in the office. So it wasn't like it was anything. It was very casual. I just went that's to his nice office. Little, yeah. That's a nice little office. So what was his reaction? Uh, immediately, uh, aggra- uh, anti, I mean, I was immediately disturbed and upset. Uh, I mean, it went from like very serious zero to a hundred within 45 seconds. So I said, look, you know, here's my concerns. Uh, and I even said, can I do something else that day? that we're going to do this. I'm not comfortable with it. I'll sit on the wiretap we've got going. Let me, I'll perform other duties. And he said, right now, what you're saying is jeopardizing your entire career. You need to think about it. Wow. And th- and it was a Friday. Wow. Uh, and he said, take the weekend and think about it. And I came back on Monday and said, my, my position's the same. He said, well, I really respect your person of conviction, but I'm going to refer you up to the ASAC now. And sent me uh, the next day to go have a sit down meeting with two ASACs. And it was about two hours long where they, they said, you have a duty to the FBI, not an oath of office. And uh, they tried wow. to. A duty to I the mean, FBI, they, they, not an oath of Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, just for shameless self-plug, you can read it or listen to it because the entire thing I recorded. No, uh, I'm it's going It's all to. in my book. Uh, and so <laughs> uh, there, there's a, I want to point out to the listeners, there's something really significant uh, that Stephen's saying here. Because that's a small office, 12 guys in Iraq. That's not, you know, D.C. or something. But the in the the because you hear politicians all the say that, oh, the top of the FBI is bad. But down at the bottom, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, what's your response to that? You know, I think that there's there's an infection that's gone on um, and it's come from having for these supervisors having to go back and forth to Washington, D.C. Just through yeah. osmosis and then gets filtered out. And then also the senior executives that head up all these field offices, they're all DC swamp creatures. They just happen to be at their next, their, their next stop. Uh, but I've, from my standpoint, I've done away with talking about the good men and women of the FBI. I, yeah. I think that we all got the same oath and we all got the training and the training was you go to the Holocaust Memorial in museum in Washington and you learn that if you, that, that only happens when you just follow orders. You have to throw the flag if you think that something is wrong. And I did that, and I was by myself. And uh, so, that's, 
That's so significant because you hear all the politicians saying, oh, it's only the top level. And it's really it's filtered down. It's filtered down to a a, a GS-14. I mean, GS-14 is just, you know. So the journeyman level is GS-13, for those of us who don't know. Like I retired as a well, – I didn't retire. I was fired as a 13, step seven, you know. Uh, that 14 is not SES or anything uh, like that. So you're confirming what I'm saying is the infection is widespread. You're sta- you were standing alone by yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just got to be uh, defunded. That That's very, very significant because that's not the perception. Uh, and the perception is if we do a couple reforms or something, uh, it'll be okay. But that's- no, you, you can't you can't nibble around the edges here. I mean, it's even if you accept the premise that there's, you know, one percent of the people are no good in the FBI. Well, that means there's 400 people in the FBI who are no good and they're all in positions of leadership. So we have to do away with the entire thing. It, you know, it's a couple drops of cyanide in the bucket of water. Are you going to drink it? And, and yeah. they're they're in charge of of people's freedom. They're willing Look, I, I had this conversation with some other whistleblowers. I said the 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 methodology and the means they they use to punish somebody like a Garrett O'Boyle. Garrett O'Boyle went through the proper channels with a, a whistleblower disclosure. The FBI lied about what he did. They said that he went to the media and he didn't. And then they abused him and had him travel across the country to seize his household goods and, and have him out of pocket forty thousand dollars without coats for his small children during winter. And he did that. He's an army veteran hero. Yeah, I yeah. just they 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 did that. So Garrett had concerns that the FBI was violating citizens' rights, and then people in positions of power in the FBI said, "You objecting to us doing that is a problem. So we're going to destroy you so that we can continue violating people's rights." That is not something that you can come back from. No, no, it is not. And um, so. But let's. I will always want to talk about answers, options, and solutions. Uh, and I think there's something very significant here. Uh, and that is, I make the analogy uh, that Rome was a republic, uh, then it was a dictatorship, and then the dictatorship was controlled by the Praetorian Guard. At one point, they even auctioned off the emperorship of Rome. Uh, and what happened eventually is, because there were no people of integrity anymore, uh, the legion started having foreigners in there. Then that's when the barbarians come in. Or I think that's exactly where we're at. I have a chaplaincy, Christchaplaincy.com, founded by the first. Well, I founded it, but it's based upon the first chaplain, uh, which is St. Martin of Tours, who was a Roman cavalryman who turned Christian. Uh, uh, that's why I keep asking you about your, your faith and the fortitude uh, thereof. Uh, but what I see here is the Praetorian Guard trying to uh, uh, keep itself uh, going, to keep itself in power, but you are clearly evidence that it is failing and falling because you're a young guy. You should be the kind of guy that's easily intimidated uh, by them, um, uh, and you weren't. Uh, I, Garrett's an older guy. He's a veteran, I think. Uh, I know he's a veteran. Garrett's my age. He's your, he's your age. Garrett's okay. my age. I think I've actually got him by a year. Okay. All right. You guys all look young to me. Uh, but uh, but the, the, Praetorian, the Praetorian Guard itself is failing. And this is why I think 
if I look at history and scripture, that we are winning, though at great cost, but victory is always won at great cost. But I think this is really uh, significant. So uh, I want your thoughts on that. And then uh, where, um, where we're going with this next. So when I'm working with states, I work with several different state governments. Uh, Arizona, I've done a lot of work with, but from New York, uh, Oklahoma. And what I say is, uh, get off the federal team, get rid of HIDA, get rid of OCDF, get rid of JTTF, because as long as you have those federal task force in there and you cross-deputize those guys uh, and the fusion centers, uh, they're on the federal team and they're, they're controlled. And you've got you've to develop either state guards with a counterintelligence capability or sheriffs with a, with a counterintelligence. But the counterintelligence capability is really to keep the feds out um, from all those task forces uh, I worked. Uh, they've got to forget that money. Uh, and everybody wants the title three money for the, OC at least in my day, the OCDF organized crime drug enforcement task forces, uh, money. Um, still do. Still do. Yeah. Cause I heard you work in a title. Yeah, three. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah title man. Three. It's unlimited funding. Yeah. So the title three money is still coming through OCDF and HIDA stuff or, and JTTF yes. stuff, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so that runs the cases. So we had 12s run in title threes. A 12 doesn't normally know enough to run a Title III. He just doesn't – he's still earning the job. Uh, you're not going after big crooks. Uh, but, you know, how, how I became a whistleblower was when uh, I went on active duty for uh, Second Gulf War and my whistleblower was left in the wind because we were extraditing Miguel Cato Contento, first Sinaloa cartel leader, uh, and I was paying that guy quarter-million-dollar payments – uh, individually. Quarter million dollars is the lifetime cap for a DEA confidential informant, confidential human source now. But the amounts I see the FBI shilling out for all kinds of informants now is astounding. So to me, it looks pretty evident uh, that it's just at uh, incredible layers. Um, I'll, there's a lot there. So I'll stop there and let you comment on that. I agree that there needs to be an effort at the state level to completely divest from the federal government, especially federal law enforcement. Uh, and and the, the temptation to to get those federal dollars, I, I understand it. A lot of these cash traps, local departments, uh, they have that offer on the table and, and they they view it as irresponsible to not take it. And they say, look, there's there's needs in the community and these guys are have the technology and the funding and the resources uh, to really address it. Uh, but it's not the juice is not worth the squeeze on that. I think as a whole, if I, I, we agree the FBI needs to go away. Uh, I don't think that there are people, enough elected people to actually take that up. So the, the one sort of uh, reform that I would suggest that on its face sounds drastic, but I think would actually make it a better investigatory agency would be to eliminate the armed special agent, make it an unarmed agency, and then through partnerships, these, these task forces, they could partner with local agencies and then the marshal services could deputize detectives. And therefore the guns in the room are local guys who have state authority, federal authority. They can choose how they want to pursue. And then they can just lean on the FBI for technology uh, or, or, or something like to that effect. And therefore there's not a SWAT team that's coming to arrest you at six o'clock in the morning with FBI because the FBI won't have the guns. They won't have the SWAT team. And, and therefore the local sheriff uh, magistrate can direct the resources and say, I'm not interested in your quota. 
I'm not interested in domestic terrorist case that you have open on this this guy. We're not going to be investigating it. My people aren't going to assist you in that. They're, there's not going to be a gun in the room. Um, but what I do have is a fentanyl problem in my community. So we're going to route your resources to handling that. And my people will make that arrest. And they will bring that to a local prosecutor or to a federal prosecutor. And they can they, they can choose which is the better avenue for them. And, and therefore, we're going to better serve the community with people who are actually competent and capable, who went to a police academy, wrote a beat, ascended to the ranks of becoming a detective. They have years of experience. They didn't just go to Quantico for 20 weeks and then get thrust in as a premier law enforcement agent. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good uh, model because um, you're giving a lot of power back to the, uh, to the locals. Uh, I like that uh, a lot. You should explore the avenue that the FBI has deep um, fingers into colleges and universities and um, and special crisis centers um, that are for training for crisis, uh, along with FEMA and other things. I I will leave it at that. Um, uh, but that's something I think you should, um, should look at. Uh, so what do you see the, I don't, I don't see uh, a revenge tour 2024 for Trump happening. I think the, the FBI is clearly manipulating uh, elections uh, for their own benefit. Uh, I think that's what happened with uh, Clinton. Um, besides the server in the air conditioned doghouse transmitting to a Chinese storefront in Fairfax, uh, when uh, I think it was Comey or Mueller, I don't know which one said, well, we're not going to present this case to the attorney general because we don't think it's worth presenting. Right then, having done this a million times, I'm like, well, you don't decide. You do, you build the case and then you give it to the attorney to decide no, yay or nay. And right there, it was clear that they were controlling it so there'd be no precedent uh, happening. Then, of course, the whole uh, crowd strike thing uh, with Trump uh, they're clearly intervening uh, all over the place. DeSantis, I'm no big fan of DeSantis, but he didn't bring in DOJ election monitors because DOJ election monitors are, DLA, are election saboteurs, along with all the voting machine that goes to Spain and Germany and uh, Malaysia and Indonesia uh, as well. Um, so uh, your thoughts on that? I'm, giving, <laughs> I'm throwing a lot at you. I apologize. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't care. I don't think it matters. There's not a person we can install in the presidency that's going to fix all our problems. Where it starts is at your local level, in your community. Uh, and that you should be more concerned about who your school board rep is, who your town council is, who your county board of commissioners are. And you can really impact and fortify your community so if things go bad, you at least have a fortification that will insulate you from the worst. Uh, but people are, are not interested in that. People are, are not interested in, in they want to vote every four years and then watch TV. And, and, um, and I, I, I had the opportunity to speak uh, publicly a lot. And uh, I, I like to leave the message of being American is not a leisure pursuit. You have to be inconvenienced sometimes. You have to be uncomfortable sometimes. And if you're not willing to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable, you are 
uh, going to condemn your progeny, your child, your grandchild to a hot civil war. You, you cannot deny that this country is in a cold civil war at the moment. What would you do to prevent it from getting kinetic and your, ch- your child having to actually engage in that? Uh, and you're going to have to give up your fantasy football league, maybe, maybe a, a night of binging on Netflix and go to your school board and find out what's going on and really engage at that level. Uh, and, and that's the way that our country was intended to be. It, the, the president label of president was intended to be sort of uh, a, a, a derogatory term. They, you know, there was no his excellency, your majesty. George Washington said, Mr. President, it was kind of like store manager. It was not intended to be the all-powerful uh, that we perceive it to be. And, and now people are outsourcing their civic duty to someone in a faraway capital because they think that they can just vote for a particular candidate for office and their life will get better. And that's not going to happen. Uh, it, it never was supposed to happen. You have to get your hands dirty at a local level. And, and if you do that, then I, uh, and we all do that, we, we all paint our section of the fence, the whole fence will get painted. I love that. That's great. Well, that's very well said. Well, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on. Love to have you back. Love to have Garrett on. I'll put you in contact with uh, Ed Morales, and I will read your book, uh, True Blue. And again, your your new podcast is on Rumble at American Radicals. Is that right? American Radicals podcast. Uh, it is is Saturday at noon on noon Eastern on Rumble. And yeah, True Blue. You can pick up a copy on Amazon. It's pinned to the top of my Twitter profile at real steve friend uh and if you want to support garrett who is still an unpaid fbi employee uh, hasn't been paid for over a year you can go and buy uh some merchandise for uh for his supporting his family it's the dash suspendables.com our group we call ourselves the suspendables we're all suspended agents and uh, he's got some great lapel pins and t-shirts i'm wearing one right now it is an upside down fbi badge with the suspendables s because it's an agency in distress. I know his family would really appreciate that for Christmas. I will get one. Uh, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much. It's so refreshing. Um, and I'm not, again, not trying to be patronizing, but really uh, proud of you and, and what you're doing. And it's so good to see more whistleblowers uh, coming forward because uh, they will fall uh, in the end and they will fall because of uh of guys like you doing the right thing. So thanks so much and uh, wishing you and your family a a blessed and sacred Thanksgiving. Same right back at you. Have a good one. Okay. So uh, that is uh, the great uh, Steve friend, um, uh, 18 uh, FBI, 1811. So uh, Thursday's show will be um, the Atachanas America. uh, So it won't be live. But I just wanted to say that uh, remember uh, our native heritage. Everybody talks about our Judea Christic. And I always say Christic, not Christian, because I'm emulating uh, the Christ, not Christianity, uh, via the study of Christology. But Wampanoag means people of the first light, the dawn's early light. That's who welcomed the pilgrims uh, who read the English Geneva Bible, not the King James Bible, first when they came here. And in the Southwest, in Arizona, where I've lived, uh, they modified Teosinte into Indian maize corn, which in turn gave, in turn gave r- uh, rise to the great Cahokia Mound civilizations, greater than London town in their day. And further south, the Aymara, who I've lived with, the uh, ancestors of the Aymara, brought forth the potatoes. To- together, these sacred medicine foods ended the famines of America and Europe.
But these old civilizations grew into bloody sacrifice that you saw in the Mayan and Aztecans, which in turn gave ra rise to the free tribes and the great Iroquois Confederacy, uh, founded by Deganaweda, teacher of Hiawatha, 700 years before America. As Moses left and built upon the greatness of Europe, of Egypt, as Yeshua left and built upon the greatness, greatness of Judaism, Tisquantum, Squanto, Deganawida, the great lawgiver, and Hiawatha prepared the way, as we do now, by rejecting the corruption of our constitution and reaffirming our creator-endowed rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So may Almighty God once again forgive our sins, and God bless America, wishing you a sacred and blessed Thanksgiving.